listening to Jazz and Palfar. Welcome! This is Everyday Heroes. I am Jazz and Palfar, you're you, and here we are with a guy today who is a fantastic photographer, but an even more fantastic human male. I've had the pleasure of meeting John Melora over stateside in California and also following his work and his journey. But what's most impressive about this guy is his intentional way of showing up, the way he does life and how showing up as his whole self in his work and with his family and with himself just creates this way of navigating the human condition that makes others want to do better. This this is a great guy and a great guest. There's lots of ways that we should never have met and shouldn't know each other. But I came across you um, first on a, it was when I when I had the worst attack of imposter syndrome ever. Really? Um, when I was speaking. Yeah, yeah. I was speaking. I'd been invited to speak in California. And um, I flew over there and realized that I was a big fat fraud. And I couldn't, I'd had nothing of value to say to anyone. And uh, I remember Dane, the guy who organized the event, the one who had flown me across the world, saying, oh, you've got imposter syndrome. And I said, it's not a syndrome if you're genuinely an imposter. It's just, I'm just an imposter. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I really meant that. And then I thought, how stupid to tell the guy who's flown you here right. that you, he's made a bad mistake. That's really bad. <laughs> so I, I thought, well, what if for two minutes I just imagined that what he believes about me is the truth about me? And I made myself a cup of tea and it felt really good. I thought, what if I do it for like five minutes? What if I do it for 10? And then I did it for a whole afternoon. Then I never went back. That's amazing that I got to watch the birth of Jazz's Everyone Now Knows You. Because when I met you, you were a very quiet, very jet lagged young lady sitting next to me at dinner. And you were so <laughs> quiet and reserved. And I thought, man, this, this, this gal's really going to get a lot of out of this, hearing all these wonderful speakers. And then you got up on the stage the next day and went, oh, wow, let's see how this <laughs> And then you brought the house down. <laughs> you like you got a you're I've been to Dane's conferences for years and you got a standing ovation. I think that's the first time that has ever happened. You you got a standing ovation. No so, way. It happens every time I speak. No, no it doesn't it doesn't. <laughs> and and, the, and your humbleness is what I love most. It's, I know. I've I'm re I've written a book. It's called Effortless Humility and How I Achieved It. Is that <laughs> something? Really, you know, it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's great it's great it's going to go like hotcakes no what's interesting is that when when whenever before i go on stage i always feel sick before i start to talk i always feel sick and then i have to like close my eyes and breathe that's really important but also i give myself a little slap across the face and say stop being a selfish cow because you're thinking about you like, what if I get it wrong? What if I say something wrong? What if I'm rubbish? That's very selfish. What about the people who've shown up in the hope that you might be able to give them or share something that might help them level up? What about those people? And then when I start thinking about everyone else, I don't feel nervous anymore. Right. So it's I, it's, it's an interesting kind of corner. But I remember sitting at dinner, barely being able to string a sentence <laughs> together. <laughs> I'm thankful that you were such a good conversationalist because I literally had nothing to say. <laughs> so... So it was great. So we this conference was for creative entrepreneurs. Tell us about about you being a creative entrepreneur. Yeah, so that was very new in my journey of being a full-time creative entrepreneur. Um, I had been, you know, did the traditional route, went through, you know, high school, college, did things that I was supposed to be good at that my guidance counselor said and landed a really cool job as an engineer. Um, and I worked at that for 15 and a half years and got to travel all over the world, spent a lot of time over, over by you folks, um, and worked very exciting programs for the space program and U.S. military. And it just wasn't clicking anymore. Something didn't feel right. And I'd gone through a tremendous amount of personal change starting about 2009 uh, with the birth of my first child and then uh, the untimely death of my, my childhood best friend. And it really well, sent me to rock bottom is where I ended up and kind of realized I need to make a change. So I started looking at the world differently and this, this wonderful job that looked great on paper wasn't satisfying anymore and started, you know, exploring my lifelong hobby of photography because I got my first camera when I was seven. I wanted a, I wanted a gerbil and, and my mom's 
in her infinite wisdom, realized <laughs> who was going to be taking care of the drone. And she said, how about a camera? And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> so I'd always done photography as a hobby and had taken it with me as I traveled, you know, from all over England, the United States, sent me to Hawaii. I've been to Antarctica for work. So I always had my camera with me as my faithful companion. And then as my photography interests really start taking off, the company I worked for was bought by people that didn't have quite the same vision that I was used to working with. Um, so I became increasingly unsatisfied. And again, I was going through all this personal change for the better because I, I'm sure you don't realize this knowing me now, but I used to be an absolute jerk. Um, very. I can't, I, you've said that before <clears throat> yeah. and I can't imagine. Yeah. I, I just find that really hard. So think of maybe think of like all the humanitarian and quick witted jovial stuff that I do now, but flip that 180 degrees. And instead of me using my creativity to figure out ways to make the world better, I used my creativity, I'm ashamed to say for many decades to make other people feel belittled. So I, <clears throat> I would maybe feel better about myself and guess what? It never worked. Um, yeah. And yeah. looking back on, it, I just shudder. I'm like, I can't believe I still have people around me that, that care about me. Um, but I transformed the way I behaved and saw the world over those years. And then went and became a full-time photographer, you know, cause <laughs> why, why wouldn't you with three kids at home and, you know, young kids mouths to feed <laughs> become a full-time photographer because that's easy. Um, and I know, you, I know you, you know, you, you kind of did the same thing. You decided to be a photographer, but so mm. I ended up at this mm. creative entrepreneurs thing because I'd gone through coaching that this man, Dane Sanders had organized for years. And I think this was the second time I had flown out to his conference because I'm in the on the east coast of the United States. So it was only half as far for me to get there, but still thousands of miles. And that's where it's I met you. Quite a way, yeah, yeah, still quite a ways, quite a commitment. So I went to that nine months after I started doing photography full time. Like I said, that was over four years ago now. So we've known each other for almost four years, Jazz. I, oh, yes. I can't believe you'd only <laughs> been doing photography. I know it. It's a hobby, but your photography takes people's breath away. It's not for, like I was a photographer, and I was I was you know pretty good. I did a lot of training, I did a lot of work. I, I it's about storytelling, and I engage with people. But your images are like being punched in the gut. I mean, what the the way you see what you see stops it stops your thinking journey and makes you pause and and go in a different direction. I mean, and, I, and even when you're doing like product stuff, you find a way of, of finding beauty in it. And I, I always was just amazed at at how, like if I had that talent, the world would know because I would be telling everyone, oh, I'm awesome. And, and I was always amazed at how humble you were alongside that. And then as we got to know each other, we were in a coaching group together, weren't we? Yeah. And as we got to know each other, and shared some of our stories and got involved in each other's lives. I saw this incredible, not just humility, but a real like um, persistence in putting, in building a life that you didn't want to regularly escape from and, and crafting, being able to show up as your full self in every area of that life. And it was, to me, it just ex exuded incredible strength because I know lots of people, yes, in education, but in general, who have gone through some of the stuff that you've navigated and don't make the same decisions. And out of that doesn't get born this incredible creativity and connection. So how, how is your, how has photography driven this, this connection piece? between you and people because you 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 were you do take photos of like non-people as well yeah but how how is that kind of like because i know you did your photo walks and stuff how, how has photography connected you with others and helped you to be the the john that you want to be yeah the the tagline for my my business that i came up that i came up with with uh, the years ago was uncovering incredible and this this the basis was that was 
regardless of what it was, there's something incredible underneath. So if I'm doing portraits of someone, you know, as a photographer, you know, everyone says, I hate having my picture taken. <laughs> but mm. I, I approach it from the <laughs> fact of there's something incredible here to share with the world. And that's how I, I bring it out with people. But even when I'm photographing products, I, I reframe things. I could, you know, I could say to myself, oh, I'm just photographing hearing aids on a white background to be sold on, you know, some e-commerce site. And that'd be, that'd be pretty boring way to go through my day. But I choose to look at it as this with the same vision of I'm uncovering incredible, like this company that I'm photographing for, someone started this. This is not just some giant corporate entity. This is like, you know, a couple people that pull their resources together and are creating something new and they're putting their whole life's blood and sweat and tears into this. So it's not just hearing aids or just this product or that it's, this is someone's life that that's the path they've chosen. And it's, it's my honor to be able to be along with them on that journey to showcase it. Yeah, definitely. And that, I think that's the thing. It's what's behind the front the whole time. I talk about this in, with connecting with people in general, when someone is, you know, in a bad mood and horrible to you, or when someone's acting out, there's always a, there's always something behind that front. Mm -hmm. And often it's hard to see what's past that because what you're seeing is something aggravating, but behind that is, is incredible, is beautiful, is vulnerable, is frightened, is hopeful. And we can choose on what level we want to engage, I guess. We can choose where we want to meet people or how much of people's story we want to be involved in. You're listening to Jazz and Powerful. Hey, John, we've got, you've got an interesting relationship with sandwiches, don't you? I do. They are, they are my celebration. <laughs> <laughs> they are to this day. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Life is a celebration, and so is a sandwich. Tell okay. us about your... <laughs> I know this came out of a, of a conversation that we had um, during a coaching call. Yes. Um, about just you being phenomenal and not really not really noticing that. Yeah, not, not wanting to celebrate that. Uh, I, I totally identify with your imposter syndrome, and that's been something I've, I've really been working on. <clears throat> And one of the ways I would deal with, you know, the, this core belief that I wasn't worthy of, of love or admiration or, you know, insert any positive adver ad adjective that you want in there. Um, one of the ways I would just push that off, you know, I'd have all these accolades for, you know, for my engineering career or photography, they, they, they would pile up and I would say, oh, okay, thank you very much. Moving on to the next thing now um, to start from scratch. And I, I think it was you after I started a, a photo walk group th through our community to build a creative community. You said, what are you doing to celebrate, John? And I said, huh? <laughs> I think that's, that was my very <laughs> poised response. On, huh? <laughs> you said, what, what are you doing to celebrate? I said, Whatever do you mean? This is just my duty and this is what I'm doing and I'm just going to move on to the next thing. I, I, I don't remember what slang term you threw at me, but I knew it wasn't a good one. <laughs> what, what, what British slang you threw, but I knew I should probably pay attention and say, what do you mean, Jazz? Could you clarify that? <laughs> and you said, you're, you're creating this wonderful community for people and you organize an event. There's all these people at your studio and you're bringing people together. Why aren't you celebrating that? And I think I said because, you know, I'm not I'm not worthy. And you gave me pause. You said, well, what what would it look like if you were worthy? Yeah, you because know, you can tell people they're worthy till you're blue in the face, and unless they believe it themselves, it doesn't matter. So very astutely, as you are, you said, what would it look like if you were? What would you do? I said, I think I'd go out and get a get a beer and a sandwich. And I think you laughed at me because you said a sandwich. <laughs> but I said, no, that's, that's, that's one of my favorite things on the planet. Some sandwich I can barely fit in my mouth. <laughs> and so sure enough, um, I did. We got babysitters for the kids and my wife and I went out for a sandwich. I think I sent you a picture of it. And I think I do every time 
I go. You did. <laughs> I go. Yeah, marvelous. <laughs> I look forward to my sandwich shots. <laughs> That's right. I'm a simple it, man. <laughs> it, it was so interesting because from from your side, I like I'm listening to you, like literally bringing people together, connecting with people who feel disconnected, bringing them into this amazing experience. And not registering, it not registering as you're saying it. It's like you're reading from the telephone directory as you're describing what happened. And I'm like, hold up, wait a minute. This is where we need to recognize. And and I'll tell you for why. The main reason is because this is something that lots of educators face all the time. This, oh, it's I'm just a insert job title here. If you do not stand on the truth about who you are and what you're doing, then it is it's hard to use that as a springboard into being more in the future because what it's like where it's like we're paddling it's like we're doing doggy paddle what's that thing where you're floating what's that what's that thing in swimming treading water floating on the top treading water treading water that's the thing (laughs) it's like we're treading water we're moving but nothing's actually happening we're not going anywhere and then the next thing comes along and we just carry on treading water and mm-hmm. it, you look back and the story you tell is what you see are the bits that were when it was difficult to tread water because that was the only thing that was different what you don't see are the bits where you like dived under did a handstand on the bottom jumped up did a little dance you don't see all that because it was just one long treading water or it being very hard and that's not a compelling story for life that's just it's not a compelling story to tell our partners to tell our kids to to debt to model it's not, it's not a compelling story to call people into, to say, hey, look, keep working hard and one day you could be like me, knackered and bitter and twisted. You know, <laughs> it's like, no, right. we're better than that. We're worth better than that. So you taking those that summary celebration, it was just, it was so beautiful. I think you sat, you sat the first one, you sat with your wife and sent me a picture of this huge sandwich, <laughs> proper celebratory That's sandwich. Right. Not, not some cheese and tomatoes, mother's pride sliced bread that we have. Like huge Homer Simpson <laughs> it was, yeah. So I grew up Everything out by you could get in it. I grew up out by Pittsburgh, and there's a there's a whole style of sandwiches called the Pittsburgh style sandwiches, and made famous by this restaurant called Permani Brothers. And okay, it has you know all sorts of meat on it, but then you put coleslaw on it, and then French fries on top of a sandwich. So I mean, there there are these, wow. <laughs> and. Oh just, my just, gosh! So coleslaw and <laughs> I guess um, chips, as you would call them, on top of a sandwich. Yeah, it's chips. so good. Chips. And then what? What are that, potato chips? Crisps. That sounds amazing. Yeah, that, crisps. Is that what you call potato yeah, chips? Yeah, they're crisps. And and, and you have so many flavors. A French fries. Yeah. Yeah, you have so many flavors of of yeah. crisps. Yeah. Prawn, ketchup. We we have we have we have hedgehog flavored crisps. No, I don't imagine a hedgehog would taste good. They're scavenger. Aren't <laughs> we they? don't. We don't. I was just, I was just, I was just testing it out. Market research. Yeah, Walkers, forget the hedgehog flavor. It's not going to fly with the American. <laughs> yeah, that's no, right. we don't. We don't have. You're pushing it with prawn. You're pushing it with prawn. Tomato ketchup flavor. You're pushing it with prawn, and it tastes nothing like prawn. No, it tastes, it's just, it tastes, it tastes like ketchup, like which is more <laughs> salt. <laughs> Oh, look, you know, don't diss our crisps. We're trying our best. We haven't got much culinary expertise. Crisps are crisps are about we all we've got going for ourselves. Oh no, it's impressive. In the uh, in that market. Is it yeah, that's why we go we go big or we or we go home. That's right. So so on your amazing sandwich with all this stuff, that celebration. <laughs> and you've gone on to do other stuff as well. Tell me a bit about um what, one of the things I love is how you wrap words around what people are feeling. And especially as a guy, as a dad, as a husband, you, you just, you're such an impressive human male because you, you're very quick to notice and describe. You're also quick to judge yourself, which I'm not so keen on, but you're very quick to notice and describe and wrap words around things that other people are still working out why they feel like this. So how did, how has the pandemic uh, affected your navigation? What sort of things did you did you kind of do to sail the storm or to overcome the adversity or to sit for a minute and reframe? How did you, how did you navigate that? So I've, 
I've always been a hypochondriac, so my day-to-day practices really didn't change very much. I was glad the rest of the world got on board with washing their hands. So <laughs> that's a big positive. <laughs> yeah, that's one. That's we, Ed and I call it COVID positives. Like that's right. Things that are positive because of COVID. We wash our hands more. That's right. a positive. Right. Definitely. So, but I, I'm I'm pretty much a uh, I'm an extroverted introvert. You know, so I, I really keep to myself, you know, going out to the, the bars and restaurants with my wife. Like, that's not what we do on Friday nights. Like, we might cook an elaborate meal and have a party at our house. But uh, that was probably the biggest thing was mm. missing getting together with our friends and, and cooking and having parties like that. I mean, we did what we could, you know, in a, re- in a responsible way, especially during the summer. But during the pandemic, it, it was very obvious that a lot of people were hurting and struggling and looking for some kind of light and i i had been there myself before the pandemic ever hit you know just just with my own mental health journey so a lot of the things i do are i can you know having gone through and navigated a lot of mental health struggles myself i, I can see very easily through people and see how they're feeling and and kind of anticipate that and respond Mm. to it. So about a year ago, whenever all the, you know, healthcare workers were just getting pummeled with, you know, all the COVID cases and not having the equipment and support they needed, and they're working those tremendous hours and doing just what's already a tremendously difficult job, even more difficult. Mm. um, I wanted to tell those stories and, being a portrait photographer, I couldn't very well walk into a hospital, into a COVID unit and say, hey, can I take your portrait, please? You know, obviously there were there were numerous logistical things that that just wasn't going to fly. So I figured out a way to do portraits via a projector in my house. So I'd get on a video call like you and I are now, and I'd project their image up onto a hospital scrub that I had thumbtacked to my wall and would take their portrait. And... I wanted all them to obviously give them a voice about how hard things were, but I didn't want to have it just be a negative thing. I mean, we knew it was hard. We knew it was a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. So I called the project Sacrifice and Light because part of the deal was they would tell things that they were sacrificing, whether it was, you know, sleeping in their, um, you know, the the camper they have out back or not hugging their kids or like not seeing their family that story needed to be told, but I also had them share rays of positivity. And a lot of them were how tight the healthcare teams became and how tight the, um, <clears throat> the bonds came with, with their family through that. So that's what really started that. And then I did um, portrait sessions for the Black Lives Matter protests when all the stuff happened with George Floyd here. Mm. I had protesters come in and did portraits of them holding their sign and they got to tell their story. And they were from all walks of life. Um, and I thought that was really important to not just <clears throat> have people come in and share their story that that were black or had been affected by it. I, I wanted all races because it, it's something that affects everyone. Like even on your mm. website, you say you're an anti-racist website for the the hug it your hug it yeah, teacher thing. Yeah. yeah, and I wanted to be part of that. Yeah. Um, and then my most recent thing that um, is called the Refigured Project, and this was actually this is really special because it wasn't my idea it was an idea that was entrusted to me by um, a dear friend of mine to tell the story for husband who had major cancer surgery and he was panicking were hurt words about going to the beach because he has this giant scar because he was split from top to bottom and they you know it's like a 18 hour surgery where they pulled hundreds of tumors out of his body and she said could you take portraits of people showing their scars in a more beautiful way, you know, and, and almost make them celebrations of survival and not just a remnant of some atrocity that happened to them. So I took a deep breath and thought, Oh, wow. (laughs) And, uh, jumped right into it. And just at that time I had joined a creative group called the liminal society, which is organized by Jeremy Cowart. Um, do you know who Jeremy Cowart is? No, no, who's that? He's a friend of Dane's, but Jeremy's a professional photographer. He 
is a humanitarian first. Like he started, you know, he's done numerous things um, locally and throughout the world, but he, he approaches it to make the world better. So he released the, he, where he shares his framework, how he goes through and, and validates things. So I started the process of going through all this with a, a creative cohort to develop the refigured project to bring these scars to life. And it almost didn't happen because I found someone does a similar thing over actually in the UK. And I think her project's called Behind the Scars. Wow. So it almost stopped um, and never got started. But um, when we come back, I can tell you how we, uh, how we got moving again on the project. And that that's the thing, isn't it? It's, you know, when you, you know, like the story brand, the classic hero's journey, where if there's a film where someone has a problem and then they decide on a solution, then they do it. No one goes to see the film. But if there's a film where there's a problem, someone isn't brave enough, then is brave enough, then tries and fails and tries and fails, then has a moment of revelation. Suddenly the film is, is fantastic. And so right. when our stories follow that journey, it's powerful. <laughs> Listening to Jazz and So, the journey towards when things when you want to do something, do do you like this? Is I know you're saying, yeah, I got into it, but there's something around um, the bravery to help other people love themselves and their scars, and the bravery or the courage maybe that's required for us to do that to ourselves. So I know which one's easier for me when you're, is it possible to be involved in a project like that and not consider yourself? I wasn't even on the radar for this. And I, I don't, I don't know how this happened. But like I said, I got going on the project and it almost didn't happen because there was another similar project. And I think it's behind the scars over, over in the UK. And as soon as I saw that, I threw my hands up and went, ah, I don't want to do this. I don't want to copy someone else. And I put this out into this cohort that Jeremy had put together. And everyone said, why not? And I said, well, someone's already done it. I don't want to be copying them. And they said, John, <laughs> you're, you're, number one, you're, you're going to be putting your own spin on it. Number two, they're over in England. And number three, your photography styles are totally <laughs> different. Like, And above all of that, you could be helping people here. What, what's the problem? I'm like, oh. Well, now that you yeah. say it like that, I guess I'm not going to go with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I hadn't thought of all that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was so thankful because photography, you know, I don't have a staff. I, you know, I, I have my intern, Maya, and my dog, Henley. That's my crew. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, photography is mostly a very solitary thing, which is what I love most about it and what I also don't like about it especially having a previous career where it was such a team effort. So it was great to have that creative cohort around me, just giving me a different point of view and getting me out of my own way. And, you know, so then I went through and did all the hard work of, you know, is this wanted, needed, how would I execute it? And part of this framework that Jeremy put out was, there, like I said, there were seven steps and one of them was production. Like, how do you produce it? how do you plan this out and how do you schedule it and how do you do all this stuff? And like my skin started crawling. I was like, Oh God, that's, that's not my thing. <laughs> I don't know if you could tell, but it's <laughs> so not my thing. Um, but I actually sat down and, and wrote all this stuff out about how to execute this refigured project and how to, how I would schedule people and how I'd figure all that stuff out. And, Sure enough, once we got moving, it got launched quicker than I expected because it got picked up by a local news station. And it's it's been amazing uh, that people have shared with me. But before anyone shared anything, I was thought, well, I should probably share about myself because how can I, in good conscience, ask people to share these hurts and pains and wounds if, if I'm too chicken to share my own, because I was born with very severe club foot, like my feet were turned in like 90 degrees. And the doctor said to my parents, he said, your son will probably be able to walk, but it, you know, we're not sure if they'll ever be able to run or be an athlete or do anything. And the, they were telling this to my father, who was a 
you know, played college football, American football, and was a tremendous athlete. But my parents never let me know that was a hindrance. You know, they, they did the exercises with me and I was in cast, I think from when I was 18 hours old and had all the surgeries. And I thought, well, let me try to photograph some of the scars I have, which my scars are on the back of my calf, which is a tremendously difficult spot to photograph on yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here I am in my studio by myself. I didn't, my dog wasn't even there. I, she would be embarrassed. And I was trying to photograph the back of my calf. And of course, I like to light things like very creatively and do things a bit offbeat. And it just wasn't working out. And I took this one picture top down. And you can actually see my feet and my one foot's all twisted in because my feet are still not shaped right. There's like a two and a half size difference between them. But, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful. I can walk. I can run. I mean, I'm an athlete. I'm a black belt in karate. So, like, I'd never let that hold me back. But I took this one picture top down of my feet. And I thought, my God, my feet look disfigured. And that's when like a light bulb went off because at that point I hadn't had a name for the project. I hadn't had like all the things they weren't gelling yet quite yet. And as soon as I saw that picture, I was like, okay, I just said I'm disfigured. What if I refigured the way I saw myself and gave myself grace instead of when I lose my balance, throwing a sidekick, I say, you know what? you've made it pretty far with someone who they said might never be able to do more than walk to a mailbox. So it's actually helped me a tremendous amount. So I was actually the first subject for the refigured project. Mm -hmm. And since then, I think we're already over the past few weeks, we're already on like, I think like a dozen or 15 people have already participated with people scheduled out. So, so it's, it's. And the photos, tell us, tell us where we can see it because the images are, are truly stunning. Thank Truly you. stunning. Yeah, so um, it's on Instagram. Has its own Instagram page. It's it's that famous. You know, I, I typed it all up myself. Um. <laughs> <laughs> does, does your dog? Does your does your dog have an Instagram page? Uh, she should. A... She should. During the pandemic, I did I did she post should. daily pictures of Henley, and it was Henley makes the world smile, and she got more likes than anything that I ever posted. So <laughs> maybe I should maybe should ever be my PR agent. So. So anyway, so back to yeah, what you asked. Yeah, she could run that for That's you. That's right. So it's it's Refigured Project on Instagram. It's R-E-F-I-G-U-R-E-D Project. Um, so it's on Instagram. It's also on Facebook. Right. Um, and you can see the stories uh, that people are sharing there. And it's been very interesting. There, There's maybe half of them are physical scars, but a lot of them have been emotional scars that people have started sharing. So it's it's, it's really morphing into something, something else and, and even more beautiful. Yeah. Did, did I share the Kintsugi bowl with you? The is, Japanese bowl? Is that the, the I, where you fill it with gold? When I came over. Um, yeah. So you break it and right. then you repair it and you repair it with gold leaf. And, and this is a great metaphor for, you know, we've all got scars and our scars are beautiful. But I, I think it goes even further. I think your scars are your superpowers. Mm-hmm. Because when when we, because we all, our human condition is that we all want things to be better, but we're scared of change. And we keep that in mind alongside this secret fear that we might just not have what it takes or we might not be good enough or some this comparisonitis when we put social media on and we compare someone else's front stage with our backstage and we're, we're, we're you know, we've got, it's like, I think it's like a cactus, a comparison cactus that you keep sitting on and all these prickles <laughs> go in your bum and you're just really uncomfortable. You know, it's like, oh no, oh, I hate this. Oh, I'm terrible. And we spend a lot of time in this comparisonitis place. And so that the, the scars being your superpowers means that when you are, you know, brave enough when you're 10% braver, when you're, when you bend down to take a picture of your own calf and you, you try and contort into that position, you get to realize something that you would never have realized before. And other people are given agency by that because they see you as this amazing award-winning, fantastic photographer, creative genius. And they think I, I, I'm not enough. And this is we put it onto whether it's a scar or something we think emotional, physical. And then you say, I have scars. 
and some of them are healed and some of them are a bit raw and some are, are healed but I scratch at them mm-hmm. and then they start to they start to get a bit red again but I'm I'm committed to 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 the scars being part of the journey and not the definition the scars being it's not a it's not a full stop it's not even a semicolon it's part of the story mm-hmm. and the story isn't finished and so that 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 gift and i think this when i this is what i'm so passionate about education because it's not about it, for me that it's the relationship piece the start education starts with r photography starts with r it's about relationship it's about relating to people and especially after um this current part of modern history that we've gone through whether it's political and you know scientific and health this idea of being able to find common ground I, I think I think it's I think it requires an intentionality that people don't usually show up with. We spend a lot of time on automatic forest gumping our way through life and then wondering why our latest relationship has broken down, even though we did the same as what we did in all the other 12. Hashtag talking about myself. You know, it's like we, <laughs> I can't. There's a common denominator, but I can't work out what it is. You know, it's like, oh, and, and then we blame the system. It's the system or it's it's the world or it's the. And what we don't realise is that we're the system, we're the world, they are us. It's not them and us. And this idea that you're the very thing that you want to hide is the very thing that will give other people a chance to to be the man, the woman they were created to be, not the human the world said they had to be because they're not tall enough or they're too fat or they're too thin or they're too short or they're too black or too white or too whatever. Mm-hmm. The tr- to get to the truth and i i i, I don't know I, I hope i don't well i don't know maybe i do but i feel like we've had we've had a very successful technical revolution and a great industrial revolution and a marvelous digital revolution and i think it's time for a human revolution i think we're ready absolutely we really the, yeah the the amount of hate and vitriol and discord that was so prevalent, especially over over in the United States last year politically. I mean, it, it was heartbreaking um, mm. to to see and hear both sides of friends tell me stuff, you know, that were on opposite spectrums of, of opinions and to hear both sides of their stories and just hear how far apart they were. And I wouldn't say like, but at your core, you're you have a lot of the same beliefs. Like it, it doesn't have to be because you and I don't agree on something. Now, now we have to hate each other. Now, like, the, and that's, that's what mm, I feel a lot yeah. of it has become. And that, and that's heartbreaking because if everyone was the same, that'd be, that'd be super boring, but not having the ability to <laughs> like talk about people or, or talk with people and work through things and understand their point of view you know that that's a huge skill that I, I think is sorely lacking, and and obviously mm. social media makes it so easy to just send, you know, because you wouldn't say a lot of these things would not be said face to face. No, it's a quick fix. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like drugs or chocolate. You just you feel bad, you grab it, you stick it in you, and you're all good. <laughs> that's, right. You know that is it works. Social media works, but actually, I, I I'm a big advocate of. If you want real change, and you can do all of those things, you can take the easy path. I mean, sometimes that's good. Victimhood is a lovely place to holiday. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, lovely beaches, but but living there isn't very useful. <laughs> it's not it's not the best place to move to. But um, but you you can do all that. But ultimately, to bring about change, there's three E's, and the first of those E's is empathy, which is withness, not sympathy, empathy. And I think that's what you've that's what you capture, that's what you're open to, and that's what you freely give. You start from that point and you attract people into that space. And then the conversation becomes something that you could never have planned because you're opening the door for people and saying, you're unconditionally loved and it's okay to be you. And those two fundamental truths give people a platform to go, oh my gosh, if that's true, <laughs> you know? So that so empathy is a big one. And the next one is engage where you're actually able to start a conversation where you're listening as much as you're speaking. And the last one is enroll, where you bring someone into believing that the, the impossible might be possible. And, and what we often want to do is we want to go straight to enroll. 
especially mm-hmm. in school. We want to go straight to right. This is what we do, and this is this. It's not. It's not. This is why we do it. This is what we do. Let's go. And it's like, hold on, hold up, hold up. Meet me where I am, and take me on a journey. You're listening to Jazz and Powerful. And and the people who do that really well often are people like gang leaders, people who are trying to um, start a political sort of movement that might be slightly anti what everyone else thinks. They, they know how to enroll people. They know how to do empathy. They know how to meet people where they are. It's beautiful. It works, no, whether you're using it for good or for evil. So let's take it and use it in a way that, that causes the change that we want to see in the world, whether we are a single parent with a toddler, uh, uh, whether we're refiguring what what our body looks like or our mind feels like whether we're having a celebratory sandwich or whether we're facing a class of children there is no difference and also the difficult thing about the empathy piece and this is an inconvenient truth (laughs) is that it doesn't matter whether you're you don't just have empathy to people you like you have empathy to people you dislike and disagree with as well because that's the first step to changing to, to being growing you, you've got to meet people where they are so if someone has an opposing view to you you are completely within your right to be angry about it shout at them have a go completely absolutely and and it's not a book and I just you might be the only person who actually says let's sit down and talk about this let me gift you 30 minutes of my time to have a conversation about why you feel this way are you interested in hearing and sharing and sometimes it's no but imagine the times when it's not no the times when it's a courageous conversation that leads to change I these are the times that I celebrate being on the planet and Mm -hmm. as someone who has previously not wanted to be on the planet you know these are the times when I am grateful that I'm breathing and I'm here because if if you're dissatisfied so much that you want you want change. Well, this is how it comes about. But it's hard. It's hard for people. And that's why I love what you do, because you in it's like you're saying to people, come and be part of a project. But actually, what happens while they're doing that is that they grow and have a revelation and a realization as well. And you you did it in Refigured. You did that yourself too. Right. It's just it it's it's mind blowing. It is mind blowing. Do you get it? Do you feel that? Do you feel that it's like on the edge of miraculous. Do you feel like that? And I, I again, this goes back to owning the cel- or celebrating things is it's tough when it comes naturally. Like the idea just kind of like pop into my head. It's not like I've like worked for eight years on some thesis where I feel like this should be the next step. It's just kind of like I'm out mowing the lawn, listening to the Foo Fighters and all of a sudden it's like, poof, <laughs> these ideas just pop into my head. Um, <laughs> But but seeing the impact that it's having on people certainly is 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 opening my eyes. The tangible effects it's having on people, and even how it affected me whenever I see my pictures, because I now think about that mm. whenever, like I said, I'm doing something, maybe I stumble or lose my balance. Um, I have a visual, you know, cue in my head now that I go to. I say, "Wow, if that's if that's for me." maybe everyone is either being affected maybe even a little bit like that or maybe even more so and that's beautiful yeah how does it work with kids asking for a friend but how do you how do you (laughs) like my eldest is about to go to university and um and it's you know it's a journey it's a journey luckily I had a nephew who's been like a practice child so we've done it all with him but it's it just feels so I feel like I have been making up parenting as I go along. And I actually said to, to, to Trinity once, I am making this up as I go along. I'm doing my best. And if we all if we all stick to it, then the third child might have a decent parenting experience. So that's <laughs> what we're all contributing to. What, you know, but I feel like um, I want to be everything. And I also want to be give her space to learn. But watching watching her make mistakes is one of the hardest things I find. I know the value of it, but also I just, I just want to make everything okay all the time. So how do you, with your kids, how have you, how have you recreated like John 2.0 in in your journey with as parent parenting? 
the toughest part for me, I don't think, is watching them make a mistake. It's watching them make mistakes I've made. That's like a gut punch to me. Oh. Is or or maybe they fall into some of the same traps that that I've you know I've I've worked my way through. And I just think, oh, like I can see the path that that leads down. And what what I try to do, or no, not what I try to do, what I do is think, okay, they're, they're, they're heading down some of the paths that I did. What, what did I not receive growing up that might have been able to correct my path? Like, what was my experience back then? And why did I respond the way I did to that and continue down this, you know, dark and windy and sometimes very dangerous path? So that's how I've really tried to reframe it. But yeah, when you watch your kid make the same mistake you do, it's like, oh, God. Yeah, it hurts. But sometimes it's the cusp. It's like if, if we if we jump in at that point, then they don't get to like navigate their way out of something. Ne- we never get to know whether they can reframe because we've jumped in and made everything right. better. So I'm really big on on resilience. I just want them to do it without getting hurt at all in the process, <laughs> which I, I know isn't how it works. Yeah. But um yeah, I'm just I'm just what's what's next for you? What what project next? Oh well what is next is I have a very small bucket list because every time I put something on it, I end up doing it. So I keep trying to come up with new stuff. But one thing that's been on there for four years now is having you take my photo. I oh. want a portrait shoot with you. I would love I know, that. I know that's tricky because we're quite your long distance lens doesn't quite reach over the ocean. But uh but I'm sure someone in the US so government that's, has that's one that does. <laughs> right. That would be great. <laughs> oh, I bet I they do, yeah. Yeah. They're well, hearing be, everything. Well, but be, uh well, I keep trying to get my wife to have her administration book you to come talk. So maybe we could have a one-two, a one-two <laughs> one punch. Um, but yeah, that, that would work. That would be fantastic. We could always do an online portrait. Um, we could make those happen. We could do. Yeah, we, we could, could do. That would be good, actually. Yeah, but my um, what's but what's next? Where are, where is it going? What's what's I almost think there's no answer to this because it's the untold story. And you say, I'm just listening to the Foo Fighters and I have this idea. And what I hear is I make space for creativity to find me. Like my son hates walking to school, right? Which it's five minutes. It's not a long way. Or it's 10 minutes. He hates walking to school because he's like, you know, he wants to go in the car. So I said to him one day, I I went without the car and I went to pick him up and he's like, oh, I've got to walk back. I'm like, no, let's walk. And as we started walking, we started talking and we had an idea for a, a party that was Nerf gun related and how we could put it all mm-hmm. together. And he, he said, actually, mummy, when you walk, you think differently. And I said, yes, because ideas are hanging in the air. Mm. And when you move slowly walking, they can fall and rest on your shoulder and take root. But if you're going too fast, if you're driving or on a bike, the ideas can't land on you. So yeah. sometimes you've got to yeah, take a slower pace okay. so the ideas can land. Made up on the spot. I am nailing this parenting thing. That's fantastic. I <laughs> but, love that. So that's what you do. You are making space for those ideas to land. And that is an incredible model, gift, and ability. So do you know where you might go next? Do you know what the next project might be? Or Well, we're just getting started on this one. Um, I'm, I am notorious for bouncing to the next thing. Uh, <laughs> that hasn't come up yet, but the one thing that is at the top of my professional bucket list is in line with the Foo Fighters is to photograph them. Cause I, I, wow. I find Dave Grohl just such a fascinating person. He just has such a pure love of music. And had I been blessed with different skill sets growing up and, uh, you know, a, a, a different upbringing, I would have loved to have done nothing more than music because music is, is my refuge. Um, but I've, I've just always found the way he approaches things and just the whole band, how it's just like, they're, they're arguably one of the biggest bands on the planet, but their songs are just so elemental and, you know, just hit people on a visceral level and the lyrics are fantastic. So that's, what's next for me at some point in my career is is to get to just meet those guys and, and, and photograph them. 
So, Foo Fighters, if you're listening, do not turn that opportunity down. Oh, do I'm sure they're listening. I'm sure they're listening. Of course they're listening. Of course they're, they're I'm getting emails from them all the time. That's requesting right. Requesting guests. It's getting annoying, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> John, John Malora, it has been a gift to spend time with you. It's You know what's, what's odd is it feels like we're in we're just hanging out somewhere and we've we've never been we've spent every week catching up doing this because you have a way of of living that value of meeting people where they are which is why i have no doubt that you will complete your swag your seriously wild <laughs> audacious goal of right. photographing the foo fighters and that there will be even more gifted creativity to come thank you so much for this time for the gift of your time Thank you. And and my my invitation to you is that you you can never have enough celebratory sandwiches. Go bigger. Go <laughs> even bigger. <laughs> yes, I will have the extra cheese. <laughs> Stick some more French fries on. That's right. right. There. That's I right. Can take it. That's right. I want it so big the toothpick won't hold it together. Give me a chopstick to hold this bad boy together. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we're going. Sandwich heaven. That's Sandwich right. heaven. You have, you have been listening to Teacher Hug Radio with my fantastic guest, John Malora. I'm Jazz Ampalfar. This is Everyday Heroes. So are you. Thanks, Jazz. The amazing thing about John, when you meet someone and um, you notice that there's something different about them and it intrigues you and you want to find out more. Have you had that experience? And so you talk to them and... As you're listening to them, you discover that they are like truly impressive as a human. The way they think, the way they, the, the things they say, the actions they take, um, their mannerisms, that sort of thing. And then as you get to know them a bit more, you realise that they have absolutely no idea of, of what they're, how they come across to others, of the impact they make on others, the difference that they make. One thing I love about John and so many of you who I've met through keynotes and through being out in the world when we were allowed to run around and have Nando's and lick each other pre-pandemic is that very few people have a real handle on what it's like to be on the other side of them on what it's like to experience being in the orbit of them. And what I want to encourage you all to do is to stop using the word just to describe what you do and who you are. It's a lie. There's just as a belittler and there is nothing, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, the, the capacity, the potential for you to impact, to make a difference, to show up for someone is there every time. So let's start with the premise that you're awesome and go on from there. That's the show. You have been listening to Teacher Hug Radio with me, Jazz, and my special guest, John. And I really hope that you have a fantastic week. So get out there and stand on the truth about yourself. <laughs>